Hello and welcome to GMI, the Guitar and Music Institute podcast, episode number 15. For many people, music is something to do with entertainment, relaxation. Music is something that helps them enjoy theatre, films, or just for its own sake. But music is also increasingly being used as a therapy for many different illnesses, from depression to dementia, anxiety, and in some cases, treating people who have created crimes. One of the leading organisations in this field is Nordov Robbins. Nordov Robbins is a worldwide organisation, and in Scotland they have many bases, and I was lucky enough to speak to one of their two executive directors based here in Edinburgh, Janet Halden, and she talks all about what Nordov Robbins Scotland does in terms of healing and helping people through difficult times in their life, including people who suffer from illnesses such as cancer. Nordoff Robbins is a charity and as such needs support from people across society and this podcast is to help heighten awareness of the work that they do and how you can help them continue this work, bringing a wide range of therapies to people who really do both need and deserve it, from the very young to the very old. If you're listening to this podcast on iTunes, then please come over to the Guitar Music Institute website at www.guitarandmusicinstitute.com where there are plenty of other supporting articles and videos about this podcast. So if you don't know much about the music therapy field, then I hope that this interview with Janet will be a real eye-opener. Wherever you are in the world, you think about supporting your local music therapist centres. So coming up is the interview with Janet Halden of Nordoff Robbins Scotland. Janet, it's great to be here with you in this wonderful facility, which is, it's not exactly in the middle of Edinburgh, but it's pretty close, isn't it? Because am I right in thinking you used to be outside of Edinburgh, Mm -hmm. Nordoff Robbins Scotland was... Was it Broxburn, is that right? Yes, we were out in Broxburn for about five years. So um, we've, we've been in various locations since the charity was established back in 1996. So we started at Rosewell Hospital in Midlothian. And uh, then from there we moved into a community building in Lonehead for a few years. And then, ah, Lonehead. Yeah, yeah. And then we were in Last Wade for another few years. So does it only go to places outside of Edinburgh? Is, is, is <laughs> well, this is the first time we've actually been in Edinburgh, so it's <laughs> it's a real treat for us that we're in a central location. You can and, actually um, get home quicker. Exactly. If much, you live inside Edinburgh. That's. Well, that's 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 true. Not not all of our staff and clients are from Edinburgh, but it's uh, it's a great place where we can be a bo- bit more visible in the community. So. And let's just for our listeners, for those perhaps in Scotland, but I know there's a lot of people in America, you'll just have to look it up on Google Maps. Where about exactly are you in Edinburgh, this, this location? We are currently on the Beaverbank Business Park, which is just off the bottom of Broughton Street. So it's you hear about that, folks? Broughton Street, look yeah. it up on your Google Maps. <laughs> so we're not too far from the centre of town. We're about a mile from Princess Street and Waverley Station, so just down the road. Yeah. Fantastic. Now, through working as a musician, I know about Nod of Robins, but do you, I've, I've got to be honest, and to my eternal shame admit that until I started actually having some contact with Nordoff Robbins, oh, it was about four years ago, I had never really heard about it. Mm-hmm. So I know that's terrible, but there may be people out there 
uh, who don't know much about Nord of Robins mm -hmm. and when it was founded, and etc. Could you maybe just fill us in or the listeners in on, on when it started and who was behind it and you know what was the main driver for it? Yeah, well, I mean, Paul Nordoff and Clive Robbins were the founders of, of you know, what we, we call Nordoff Robbins today. So they were the pioneers in the, the sort of methodology of using certain musical techniques with, um, initially it was children at uh, Sunfield Children's Home in England. So were they, were they doctors or...? No, um, Clive was a teacher at a special education school and um, Paul Nordoff was a pianist and a composer. Um, from America and he had come over I think specifically to work with Clive and others in this setting to kind of um, yeah start looking at ways in which music could support and assist the children there and so sorry was uh, was it Mr. Robbins who was the American? Uh, Clive Robbins was English and, the yeah, other so one he, and Paul Nordoff was an American, American. and where composer. was he from in America? Oh my gosh, um, that's a question. Um, right, you can you can write in, folks, or you can put comments <laughs> on the website. I should know this. I should know my uh, my Nordoff Robbins history like the back of my hand, but um, I'm not sure where he was originally from. And you, am I right in saying, are from America yourself, Janet? I am. Yep, I'm from the Boston area in Massachusetts. Fantastic, so. a beautiful area. So there seems to be a big connection between Nordoff Robbins, Americans, and over here in Scotland or the UK? Well, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, there's still a Nordoff Robbins um, Centre in New York at NYU um, where they also provide uh, music therapy training um, for postgrads and, um, yeah, have a clinic for children and adults in New York. Um, that's where Clive Robbins was also based in the latter years of his life. He sadly passed away a few years ago. But there's Nordoff Robbins Centres and training all over the world, including... Nordoff Robins England and Wales and Nordoff Robins Scotland and Nordoff Robins Australia. So um, although Clive and Paul originally worked together in England, the first and the first training course was in London, it's kind of evolved from yeah. that in the sort of the latter part of the 60s and the 70s. So what was their driver behind this? Were either of these uh, gentlemen, did, did they have, well, what, what got them on to thinking that music may be a therapy in the first place? Um, I think they just really saw the impact that it could have working with children with additional learning needs and particularly kids who found it difficult to communicate using speech. So music seemed to be a very direct way of connecting with them and engaging engaging them in, in kind of meaningful activity, really. So their belief was really based on the fact that music is something that everyone can respond to doesn't matter if you have a disability, what your background is, it's that kind of universal language that we can all tap into and as human beings we all have, we're all inherently musical in the way that we use. Hey man, the, the, the universe has a, well, was it freak, the universal constant, 440 megahertz I think, isn't oh, it? Oh is it? Okay. Yeah, apparently. Right, well. So maybe that's got something to do with it. Well, possibly, yeah, we're all rhythm, we're all rhythm and melody in, in our physiology, so uh, what was the first steps that they took then and, and how did they get, this might sound a bit cruel, but how did they get people to take them seriously at the beginning? They did a huge amount of research when they were working together and, and not just in England but all over the world. Um, so they did a lot of recording, um, really kind of, yeah, looking at the fine detail of 
their work with the kids over a period of time and the changes they could see it physically through the videotapes that they were um, that they were looking at and sharing with other professionals. So that's amazing. What is amazing about this is, I mean, I'm probably an ideas person, and anyone, or not anyone, but lots of people can have ideas. But to make those ideas really grow into something mm. that's uh, well, let's be honest, actually supports other people's lives as well as mm -hmm. the people who create it is something yeah. rather special. How did they make that leap? I think they were just very passionate about the work that they did and they saw, I guess they just experienced firsthand what impact it could have for these, these children who were, you know, some of them were quite profoundly disabled and I think things were a bit different back, you know, those those decades ago when perhaps there wasn't the same level of support for a lot of children. So what year are we talking about, about here, Janet? Um, I think that the bulk of their work was probably late 60s, early 70s, before okay. before Paul Nordoff, Paul Nordoff passed away in the 1970s. Right. So, yeah. So they weren't hippies or anything? They were not hippies, no. They were <laughs> genuine, bona fide musicians, serious you could researchers. Be a, and could be a hippie and a musician? Well, they, yeah. <laughs> Julie Mitchell? They took, yes, absolutely, yeah. This this whole podcast is about music, health, and healing. Mm -hmm. um, can you? I actually thought that Nordoff Robbins, before I really knew much about it and was beginning to know something about it, was it was just interested in children. Mm. Uh, but that is absolutely not the case, is it? That is not the case. I think uh, going back to the initial work of Nordoff and Robbins, they did start work with children, but today we work with the whole range of ages from you know even babies and preschoolers to older people with dementia and it goes back to that idea of you know that music can really be for anyone so um we work a lot with people older people with dementia so although they might have lost their short-term memory there's healthy parts of the brain that music can still tap into and uh, they can recall songs and lyrics from from many many years ago and and uh, still retain that sense of a healthy self through the music. There's a wonderful video on YouTube of a couple of guys from somewhere in England and they just come over as a fantastic pair. It's a father and son. I don't mm. know if you've seen oh, this video. Oh, yeah, in the car. In the car. Yeah. Uh -huh. And if uh, once you've listened to this podcast, guys, you should go and check out this video. So it's, um, it's a guy probably in his 30s and his father um, and his dad basically has really bad dementia but he mm. was for years a singer mm -hmm. and he can't really remember or do much but he can sing and he's got a fantastic voice mm -hmm. uh, uh, if you put in dementia man singing in car with son yeah. you'll see it and I, I absolutely guarantee that this will uh, watching that video will just brighten your day up, however yeah. bad your day is. Because yeah. it is astonishing that he's got all that musical uh -huh. ability in him. And he went on to actually do something for... I think he recorded he, a, a big I, album, didn't he? I want he? to say, yeah, he, he recorded an album. He was yeah. kind of a crooner, wasn't he? Like yes. A, yeah. And a really good one, actually. Yeah. Uh -huh. this, by the way, folks, this isn't just some old gadget who's... <laughs> say, I mean, he's got a fantastic voice. Yeah. And... That, I mean, we're still learning, aren't we, about how music in terms of Alzheimer's and all the rest mm. of it. In fact, my older son works with people who okay. have Alzheimer's. Yeah. And music is a really big part of that whole, well, making their, their stays and their, their holidays better. So, Janet, is there sort of written, um, a written method, uh, methodology 
and uh, outcomes regarding the work that Nord of Robbins does. I mean, is it something which, if someone comes to you with a, a child, say, who's mm -hmm. got autism, or, is it something you can say to parents or carers, if we do this, we can expect that? Not really. It's not, it's not as prescriptive as that, although that, that, that would be nice and easy for, you know, parents and carers to, to you know, give a, a music pill or something that to, to, to help whatever issue it might be. But the fact is that we're working with individuals and everyone's different and responds to music in different kinds of ways. And that's, that's really the beauty of music is that it is so flexible. And although there is structure within music, it can be tailored to, you know, different personal tastes, what motivates people. Um, so we're really working in a person-centered way and tapping into what interests and motivates that individual and um, what their needs are really. So for example, somebody's, somebody with dementia, their needs can be hugely different to the needs of a three-year-old who's just been diagnosed on the autistic spectrum. So um, for one, we might be looking at communication skills and social interaction um, and the other end of the spectrum, it might be kind of engaging with um, memories and reminiscence and that that kind of thing. Um, so so with, a, with a child who's, I don't know if we can say profoundly autistic, I don't know if, if that even exists, yeah. but they're in lockdown and they're not communicating. Mm -hmm. Is it the case that music therapy in a number of more than more than the average sees those children beginning to actually respond verbally to the people around them? I, I don't know, sort of in terms of percentages, how many would start using speech or engaging verbally, but in the music therapy, we can, even if it, the child is very difficult to engage, we can work on the basis that anything that they do can be interpreted as musical. So even if a child... The Buddy Rich approach, everything's musical. Well, I guess so, yeah. Even if a child is walking around the room or hitting their hand on a table or kicking their foot on the floor, then that can be responded to musically and worked with through the music. And I saw that with one of your videos, actually. It was right. like Alana, a little girl. Okay, yeah. yeah. So the reason I'm kind of asking you these things, Janet, is because you're not only the executive director, you are a music therapist yourself, aren't mm -hmm. you? That's right, yep. Could you tell us exactly how, A, how did you get into music therapy? When did you mm -hmm. become aware of it? what qualifications you need to be a, a music therapist and, and what exactly do you do in your job day to day? Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, well for me personally I've played the piano since I was six years old and funnily enough I started playing piano as a physical therapy for myself. I'd, I'd fallen off my bike and broken my wrist so that's how I kind of got into it um, but always really really enjoyed music and didn't see myself going down a performing pathway but wanted to use music in, in my career somehow. Um, so at university I studied psychology and music in sort of separate streams. Wow, that's a heavy. And yeah, it was pretty heavy. <laughs> um, but then I um, I became aware of music therapy. I was studying in London and uh, yeah, just did some asking around and visited the Nordoff Robbins Centre, which was uh, in an old building in Kentish Town at the time. And uh, I didn't actually train at Nordoff Robbins. I trained at another, um, another school in London, but uh, that's how I kind of got interested in it. And um, at the moment there's 
think there's maybe seven or eight training courses in the UK. So it's all postgraduate, two-year master's um, training in music therapy. Sorry, folks. That noise is, I think, someone using a shredder. Somebody's shredding, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, so in terms of my day-to-day, I... I have worked for Nordoff Robbins um, since 1999 and um, started as a music therapist and, and have, you know, largely fallen into the role, I guess, as uh, one of the executive directors of the charity. Oh, as I say up here, so, a high hygiene. Well, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> so I do that. That's kind of the bulk of my job now, but um, both myself and my co-director maintain one day of clinical work. Um, through the week because it's really important for us to um, to maintain that practice and the, the sort of grassroots where we've come from. So I work currently in this space here in Beaver Bank. I see a few clients who come in here every week. Right. Um, but a lot of the therapists who work for the charity are doing outreach work, so going out into schools and hospitals and day centres, and that's really the bulk of the work that we, that we do. It's in the community. Fantastic. Now... Just to pick you up on something you said earlier, you said there are other centres teaching music therapy. Mm-hmm. Is there a prescribed way of learning music therapy or is there different stresses depending on where you go? There, there are different stresses depending on where you go. I think um, in the UK there's, there's probably more similarities than dissimilarities, whereas if you're comparing a training course in the UK with... Um, Taiwan or something, there might be significant differences, but all of the UK training courses are working with music as a kind of creative tool rather than a behavioural prescriptive kind of here's music, you listen to it and that'll that'll make you feel differently. It's it's about engaging people in improvisation and co-working in the therapy with um, that kind of relationship at the core. So all music therapists in the UK are state registered with the Health and Care Professions Council. So regardless of the training background, we all have to adhere to quite specific standards of proficiency as dictated by the HCPC. So. Wow, that sounds impressive. Is there different um, expectations around the world about what music therapy can do for people? Um, that's a tricky one to answer, I guess, because I'm not quite sure what the different expectations around the world are. You mentioned Taiwan, for example. Um, yes, well, I I think that just popped up because I think there's some Nordoff Robbins, um, training or delivery that's developing in that, in that area. But, um, around the world, I think it varies tremendously, um, in terms of the recognition of music therapy, what it is, what it can do. And some cultures, I think... You know, music's been around as a as a sort of healing medium for centuries, if not longer. So I think there's certain and in some cultures there isn't even any indigenous music. Mm. <laughs> Unbelievably. Mm. And do you share uh, research? And uh, is it kind of like universities where, you know, they're feeding into there's everybody sharing information with everyone. Is that does that happen in music? Yeah, well, there's a lot of um, with the internet now. There's a lot of online journals and and sharing of research. Um, there's a British journal. There's lots of different music therapy journals as well as you know music therapists contributing to other professional sort of journals and conferences and all over the world. So um, I mean, we have in Nordafrob in Scotland a new head of research who started just in September last year. So. Mm-hmm. We're developing our own research practice internally Wonderful. and linking in with Nordoff Robbins, England and Wales, who have quite a well-established 
research department as well. So, so there's, there's two sites in Scotland, isn't there? Is that right? North of Robin, Scotland has four clinics in Scotland. Oh, right. So we've okay. got one in Edinburgh, one in Glasgow, one in Fife and another in Dundee. Okay. And we've also developed some services up in Aberdeen over the last year. So we're kind of spreading out a bit yeah. more in Scotland. Okay, you are listening to GMI, the Guitar and Music Institute. Uh, I'm in conversation with Janet Halton, who is the Executive Director of Nordov Robin Scotland. And we're talking in this podcast about music, health and healing. I just wanted to ask you about instruments, because when you were talking about um, how different people respond, do they respond differently to different instruments? Do uh, they have a gravitational pull, to, just like as a child you might like drums or bass mm -hmm. or this, just any any child. Yeah. Uh, do you see this happening? I guess not really because everyone has their own preferences and uh, likes and dislikes, things that they're drawn to or not drawn to. In terms of what the therapists use, I suppose most people who train to become music therapists have a background or a, a good standard of at least one harmonic instrument. So myself, I play the piano, um, we have some therapists working within the team here who are guitar players, um, but it's important for the therapist to have some kind of instrument that can ground and, yeah, harmonic instrument that can hold potentially big sounds and um, be quite flexible so, and adaptable. So, uh, so harmonica players need not apply? Well, I don't know. I, I wouldn't say that. I mean, I'm sure you can do amazing things with a harmonica <laughs> as well. But as far as the, the people that we're working with, um, it, it, it really varies tremendously. So it can be, it, but the, the, I guess the point is that they don't have to know how to play anything either. So they can experiment on a whole load of instruments that are really accessible, lots of different percussion instruments, um, as well as just using their voices. Um, or using objects in the room, as I say, just walking around or dancing or moving. Um, so it's about expression. It is, yeah. Uh -huh. Janet, earlier we were talking, or I was talking, about how I thought it was just for children, and you rightly corrected me. What is the, the total range of people that, you're go that you treat, that you help? Because mm -hmm. I see you even deal with people who suffer from cancer, is that correct? Yeah, that's right. We, we've got um, some of our therapists working in, well, both children's and adult hospices. I've got um, to say that was, I was at one of your events quite a few years ago and it was incredibly moving because there was a couple of children up in a, an upper balcony of the, the Glasgow fruit okay. market mm -hmm. and uh, basically they only had, I think, six months to live mm. and uh, they looked so happy and they had written a, a song it makes you count your blessings and mm. just just wonderful kids and yeah. you could really see the the benefits to their short lives that that Nord of Robins had given them mm -hmm. but sorry I'm cutting across you again and um, you, you're talking about the different types of uh, illnesses and people that you mm. actually deal with work with yeah yeah it does it does vary so um yeah, we work with um, children and adults with learning disabilities, people with mental health issues. As you've said, we work in hospices. Um, we work with, you know, not only the individuals in the hospice, but also 
bereaved families. We work in sort of forensic settings as well. So Oh, that's interesting. What's, what's that? Um, people who have committed offences. Um, so, yeah, yeah, so one of our therapists works in a high secure hospital. So people who have mental health problems and who have committed an offence. So, yeah. Um, quite traumatic upbringings at times. So, I'll, yeah, again, I'm going to ask you a, a really broad question, which probably doesn't have a definitive answer. As best you can, for the listeners out there, how does a course of treatment actually work? Um, I mean, if you, you make up the examples and, mm. and try and take us through it. Yeah. Um, well, just in terms of the, the process, I guess we, we, we get referrals from um, just about everyone and everyone. So in the clinics, we take referrals from parents and carers or social workers or sometimes the individuals themselves. Um, or if we're working in a school or another kind of outreach setting, we work in collaboration with other professionals, teachers and um, that sort of thing. So um, we have very kind of clear... Uh, sort of reasons for referrals so we would probably work with somebody over a few weeks just to get to know them a bit and they would get to know us and um, get to know the the setting of music therapy and what's possible so we would do that assessment and then think about well what could we do for this individual what aims and outcomes might be achievable through music therapy. And if so, that is a child, is, do you do that in conjunction with the parents? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we don't work in isolation at all, so it's really important. Do you pull in other agencies as well? Yeah, definitely. I think it's really important to kind of be transparent and communicate with, you know, everyone who's involved in the care of a particular individual, because at the end of the day, you might see them for an hour a week but obviously there's a huge amount of other things going on in their outside life and you do want music therapy not just to be about the here and now and that that 30 minutes to a half half an hour we really want music therapy to have a lasting impact so it's not only you know thinking about the time in music therapy but how it affects their day-to-day -day life with their families in their schools what have you witnessed in terms of the change in music therapy over the years how has it changed? How has it changed individuals or how has the no, provision it, changed? How, yeah, how has the provision changed? I think it's it's still something that um, a lot of people don't know about or they think they know what music therapy is but maybe not entirely sure. I can identify with that. Well, <laughs> it's, so it's a developing profession. I think people are becoming more and more aware of it and it's maybe where speech and language therapy was 20, 30 years ago. So... Our aim is to kind of get music therapy much more into the mainstream so that it's seen as an essential service for the people who really need it rather than an extra or a nice to have because unfortunately in these uh, these difficult econo economic times music therapy can be seen as a luxury and it's often the first thing to get cut from school budgets and things like that. So. Certainly difficult economic times for some but not others. Well, exactly. So I've got all these, that was one of my sort of questions for, for you. My other question was, how if someone's out there and they are interested in what you've been talking about, what's the route for them, regardless of where they are in the world, suppose, mm -hmm. just to make it even harder, do they get into music therapy? How do they get into music therapy? Yeah, how would someone become a music therapist? Um, well, I guess they need to be a musician, first and foremost. What sort um, of level would they need to be at as a musician? Um, well, in the UK, I don't think you need to have a music degree specifically, but you should have kind of grade eight or equivalent, at least on one instrument. 
And yeah, as far as doing your postgraduate, you, you would need to have some kind of undergraduate training to go into the music therapy master's programmes. So what if they were just really good players but had, and didn't have a degree? Is, does that mean they can't then do that? Um, in all honesty, I'm not 100% sure, but I think it would be quite difficult um, not to have the kind of formal undergraduate yeah. background. And when someone approaches you and if they're lucky enough to be employed by you, how long before they can actually start working in the field? Well, Nordoff Robbins Scotland isn't a, a training facility, so we employ therapists who have trained either at Nordoff Robbins um, down in England or at Queen Margaret University in uh, Musselburgh or any of the other kind of recognised professional training courses in the UK. So we don't, we don't train people, right. um, but we employ people after okay. they become registered with the Health and Care Professionals cool. Council. Now, Nordoff, Nordoff Robbins is a registered charity, isn't it? Yes. And that means you need support. Mm-hmm. How do you go about getting that support? And how obviously you want people to know about Nord of Robbins, but is uh, are you supported by government agencies at all, or Creative Scotland, or any of these people? Um, some of our projects are funded through Creative Scotland, the YMI Access to Music Fund, I believe. Is that Youth Person Initiative? Youth Music yeah. Initiative. Youth some music of our projects are yeah. yes, but a huge amount of our. Um, our funds come through fundraising, um, so, so we don't... So tell us a little about those fundraising activities. What, what sort of things would you do? Well, our biggest fundraising event is the Scottish Music Awards, and that's every November. It's a good blast, that one. It is a good blast, yeah. It's not only awards, but it's live music from some really fantastic yeah. Scottish acts, and not only Scottish acts, but international. And does Nordic Robins do that sort of thing in every country that it's in? Well, I'm not sure. I know that they do it in England and Wales. In fact, the uh -huh. Silver Clefts are this Friday down in London. So right. um, that's quite a big event for them as well. Um, so are you saying that a vast majority for Nord of Robin Scotland's income for the year comes from that one big event? It does. It does. I mean, there's a huge number of other smaller fundraising events over the course of the year from golf days to... Mm. Um, I don't know, we've got a new one coming up at the SSE Hydro, Race the Roof. So, okay. yeah, so that, that side of things is growing and developing for the charity because we rely hugely on fundraising income um, to support the work that we do because if, even if people can't afford music therapy, we don't turn people away. Um, we do try and offer a service for everyone who needs it. So. I hope everybody heard that and, and clocked that out there. This podcast really does go worldwide, so wherever you are in the world there's a good probability that there'll be an order of Robins or a music therapy centre in the country of the person that's sitting listening to us. Possibly. I mean, we're not in... A, every country. Not in every country, so... Um, but there's certainly information available um, online through the different Nord so of Robins websites. it's in America, websites. isn't it? It is. There's the centre in New York. Um, Canada? 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 I don't think Canada? so. No, I don't think there no, is one have to catch up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you're in Australia. In Australia, yep. But maybe not New Zealand. Not that I'm aware <laughs> of. I'll have to do my homework on where Nordoff Robbins is. But you know what I'm going to do? Um, so if you're, obviously if you're listening to this on iTunes, uh, you've got the, the podcast and it's, uh, the sound's being scooshed straight into your ears and your eyeballs are looking at something else. But if you come over to the Guitar Music Institute, that's the GMI Guitar Music Institute website at www guitarandmusicinstitute.com 
I'm going to put up as much as I can to support this actual podcast in terms of links and maps, if there's maps which show where music therapy and Nord of Robins is around the world, and just about anything else that I can actually do, because it sounds to me that as people need to understand the power of music mm-hmm. in terms of just the, the implications of a complete... It's almost like a chakra type thing, isn't it? Just the, the resonance of mm. of waves and how it can change people's lives. And you do need that support, don't mm-hmm. you? Definitely, definitely. So, Janet, it's been great speaking with you. I hope you've enjoyed it. She was really nervous before we started, <laughs> I thought. I don't know, she just came across that way, but she wasn't. Um, but it's been really great. And I, I'm actually, the, the facility that I'm in, it's all, it looks really, really wonderful. I'm going to, hopefully, Janet will allow me to take a few photographs um, of the just herself and, and the place in here and you can see it on the website so Janet it's been great talking with you thanks for your time thank you well I hope you enjoyed that interview with Janet Halden of Nord of Robin Scotland and it was not just enjoyable but gave you real food for thought the work that Nord of Robins do and other music therapists organisations do across the world really is vital in this growing field and we're learning all the time how music can really help people. So I would urge you to think about clicking the links through to Nord of Robins and actually supporting them in some way. It's not just about giving money, it could also mean that you support them in such ways as coming up with ideas for how they can raise funds with different activities. So thanks for listening to this episode. If you've enjoyed this GMI podcast, please visit the GMI website at www.guitarmusicinstitute.com. On this podcast's specific webpage, there is our Patreon link. We're always trying to encourage people to support us and to help us grow this podcast into something really huge. My name's Jed Brocky. I look forward to talking with you again real soon with another podcast on a music-related or guitar-related subject. Until then, goodbye.